Hey folks, uh, this is Anatoly and you're listening to the Solana Podcast. Uh, and today I have an awesome guest with me. It's Renil, co-founder of the Adios Protocol. So uh, awesome to have you again. Hey, excited to be here. It's going to be fun. Yeah. Um, I mean, last time we met, we did a podcast episode and this is, was face-to-face. It kind of like tells you how long ago that was. And uh, in crypto years, it's like a decade. Like that year, literally in my, in my mind, flew by like a decade. Um, uh, can you kind of like, I don't know, tell folks about Audius and kind of the kind of progress you guys have made over the past year? Yeah, totally. So uh, Audius is a digital streaming service that connects fans directly with artists and exclusive new music. Um, and that direct bit is kind of the the thing that differentiates it from a lot of the, uh, um, you know, music distribution tools and, and whatnot that have uh, have preceded it before. Um, so the way the way Audius enables that direct connection is by being fully decentralized. There's a network of uh, third party node operators, artists and and fans that basically have come together to kind of like own and, and operate this network um, as as a group. So yeah, there's there's a lot to unpack there. Um, the product launched uh, a little over a year ago. So uh, like in September 2019, um, and today is is seeing nearly two million users a month. Where like I think. 1.8 uh, or 1.85 million so like very very close to to crossing over that uh milestone which I, I think will be really cool but um but yeah it's 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 uh it, it's been a it's been a pretty fun ride pretty crazy wide um we're also building on solana uh, so uh uh yeah well it probably makes sense to walk through kind of all the like you know how audius works and and some of the technical stuff that that led us there but um but yeah, I'll, I'll stop there for now. That that's awesome. And like, um, what I love about what you guys are doing is, um, it like really brings me back to like my teenage years of messing around with like really crappy old school like audio like uh, audio equipment. Like I had a TR seven hundred seven and like these really crappy drum machines and like bass like ba- like uh, drum and bass machines. And um, I remember. This this is totally going to date me. Trent Reznor released these mini discs of his samples that he used in in a bunch of his al- albums, and I was it was really awesome for me to get to them because they're super high quality samples, and I could see how he structured and put this music together into this like the song you know the music that I love, um, and I could play around with them and kind of t- do my own take on them, um, and it was just like this thing that like only occurred once in like my, like the 20 years that I've been listening to music, like I've never really seen anyone else do this. And this is something that I think like decentralized audio just like seems like such a natural fit. Like you can actually connect to the artists at such a deep level and then be able to remix and re and like play with their songs and kind of get that feedback instantly. Dude, totally. And uh, we've we've actually been seeing that kind of emergent behavior happen on on Audius in, in a pretty big way. So, um, yeah, when when you use the product, like anyone can go to audius.co and like sign up, listen to music, uh, whatever. It looks and feels like any any normal music player, right? Um, and I think from kind of that that approach to usability has has uh, really served um, uh, served the product well, just from the perspective of um, you know, like there's a lot of complicated tech stuff going on uh, behind the scenes there, right? But um, one of the really neat emergent things we saw pretty soon after 
launching um, uh, the first like public uh, public beta was people running their own remix competitions. They called them on on Audius. So basically, an artist would upload a bunch of samples uh, to Audius, flip them to like downloadable, so the UI would like allow you to to download it, um, and then just say, hey, like upload uh, any remixes of of this that you all want, but tag them with um, uh, with a hashtag that links it back to my track, and then I'll search that hashtag and like repost the ones that I like, and then you know the best one may maybe uh, I think it, yeah there was um, uh, uh, I forget who who actually did this the first time, but someone said basically they'll they'll include them in the official remix album release. So typically when an artist releases a, a single or something, they'll a month later they'll follow up with like an album of remixes. So they typically will get like four or five uh, uh, folks to do remixes, uh, uh, buy the rights to them, and then release them. Um, so anyway. It, it actually is, is funny you bring that up because that's exactly kind of the behavior uh, uh, we saw play out and then actually built that as like a sort of a protocol native flag. So there's now an ontology of like any track can be tagged as a remix of another track. So when you browse around Audius, you can actually kind of like navigate through this tree of, um, uh, of uh, you know, the source, uh, uh, the sources of, of samples for, for any track basically. That's awesome. That that is like that. That's amazing, right? Like to me, this is like the huge difference between what you guys are doing and like the big streaming sites, where it's just like you really don't get a connection to to anyone, um, which which is really really sad. Like, cause it, in my mind, like even the people that put the playlist together put so much effort into this, and like I I don't actually get to connect with them, right? Like, <laughs> um. That, that part is totally missing. So that, that's really amazing. Um, and the, you kind of mentioned that you guys are using Solana. And I think what's really cool about your story is that this Sadius is not a Solana project. It's a decentralized project that uses whatever tech is out there. Um, and we just happen to be good at one thing. So it, I kind of like would love to hear like your thoughts on this hybrid approach and like what you see, like is this, do you think this is going to be common, like in the industry? Yeah, it's a it's a really great question, and it's it's one that you know we we've been thinking about a lot, like as as we plan or, or sort of sketch where Audius needs to go, right? So uh, today we're we're nearing about two million um, uh, monthly listeners, uh, you know, hundreds of thousands of of listens every day. Uh, some spikes higher uh, uh, than that. We haven't yet, as far as I know, at least had like a million play day yet but uh, i think that will you know that type of thing will be happening soon um so like you know very good problem to have but still creates a lot of problems right so um uh we the original like architecture choices made when um uh when designing the network were uh, effectively there's this kind of like three-layered approach so um uh, kind of starting from the outermost layer and, and working our way in, um, there's like the end user client that, you know, when you go to audius.co, um, your browser is actually pulling down this kind of client side React app that actually has a lot of um, uh, kind of complexity baked into it in terms of understanding like how to talk to different parts of the network to do different things. Um, now, again, I'll, I'll unpack that more as, as we work through this. Uh, the next layer 
down from from that is sort of this third party node network. Um, so there are two types of nodes uh, in Audius. Uh, one is called a so basically discovery node. It's a um, metadata indexing layer is the easiest way to describe it. Um, and uh, the other type is a so-called content nodes, basically a, a uh, content host um, uh, thing. So it's pinning actual like audio uh, uh, content to IPFS and making sure that it stays available. Um, so then the next layer down from that is actually kind of this like layer one settlement clearing layer, whatever you want to call it. Um, and effectively in our network, that serves two purposes. Um, it's, it's kind of a single source of truth for, you know, any important piece of information, whether that's like, what are the nodes in the network? Which node is meant to have which content? Um, who controls, you know, a given account? Who um, uh, uploaded a given track and has the ability to modify that track? Like all of this sort of um, uh, kind of like base information for uh, interacting with content. We we kind of call it like the content ledger of of Audius um, lives lives on chain, um, as does like the staking system and governance system and and uh the the token that backs those third-party nodes and, and also you know governance and, and all this so um so yeah the the thing that's interesting though is like within each of those three layers there are like different um uh kind of like different technologies consumed and in kind of uh i guess parallel ways right like in the same way that at the uh sort of the client level we have three different clients right there's an ios client android client uh uh web client that web client's also wrapped and distributed as like a mac app and a windows apps there i guess you could really count it as like six or seven clients um all of which are like you know obviously using different different things. Um, that node, third-party node layer, uh, where these are folks basically, you know, in, in the Audius community running these nodes, staking Audius token to secure them, earning staking rewards in exchange for doing that. Um, you know, those two nodes do two different um, two different things. Um, and then at our layer one level, um, you know, we started out with uh, ETH and uh, this thing called POA network. That's like a, a um, ETH sidechain. Um, so all the content stuff lived on POA network. All of the um, you know the token governance staking uh, live lived and and lives today on ETH. Um, and where we kind of uh, you know like as as happens to anything when it's growing and growing quickly, there are scaling problems, right? There's uh, you know bottlenecks emerge in different places in different ways from uh, uh, from you know how you may have expected and uh, some parts of the stack here that I, I just described um, you know there were ways that like our team and and other folks in the audience community were able to fix those bottlenecks and in some places we couldn't um, so the first one that really has gotten to a point that like you know we we need to fix it to like, continue to to grow and and to grow at the pace that we have been is uh, POA network and long story short that's that's what led us to um, uh, to Solana we actually kind of uh, you know we recognized this issue about six to eight months ago and and really went through like a very thorough examination of what are all the potential ways that we could scale the audience content ledger um, and you know we actually built proofs of 
concept and and talked to you know many of these these teams for 20 or so um uh you know 20 odd different paths to this there's like other layer ones there's layer twos there's you know layer 15s whatever you want to call it i think all of these sort of blend together at a certain points for us there you know we just thought of them as like you know who can solve this problem of like we need a single source of truth uh that has global availability of data um and that can find you know clear transactions to some you know reasonable degree of finality relatively quickly we weren't as latency sensitive as a lot of use cases but we're very very throughput sensitive so anyway all of that led us to uh to conclude that solana was the best uh the best way forward there so we're in the midst of um uh kind of migrating um uh migrating that bit of the network in in collaboration with a lot of our community members over to uh over to solana which has been pretty fun so oh, i'll stop i've been talking a lot but uh uh it, it's it's um you know i guess to tie this actually to tie this back uh, uh totally to your your original question there um i think the philosophy that's emerged among our team out of all of this is that like you know and and uh, I I hope you all don't don't take offense to this. I I don't think you will because we we've talked about this right. But uh you know, like your choice of of layer one should be and, and sort of you know multiple layer ones even if if that makes sense should really be like the way that a traditional web two app would choose between like Redis or Postgres or or something like that right. Like ultimately these are tools that help uh, uh, applications and, and uh, uh, networks better serve their users. And like the best tool has to win, right? Um, there shouldn't be like any sort of religion involved in, uh, you know, what is what is chosen. And, and there shouldn't even necessarily be allegiance to, to things in any religious fashion either, right? It's like best tool for the job. And, and you know, if, if you're not doing that um you're you're doing a disservice to your users right um I, I at least that's that's the way that we feel like if if you you know conflate these things yeah a hundred percent i mean it, it would be crazy for people to to argue that redis is the only database that, that should ever exist and like postgres or mysql have no place <laughs> yeah or, or, or vice like, versa, right? Like the right, Postgres yeah. versus MySQL wars are, are also pretty yeah. hilarious, right? Yeah. It's like it just it, it, if you're squabbling over that choice that much, it probably means you don't have like real problems to to solve, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I, I think like I think our design choices internally have kind of led us. I, I hate to make this analogy, but we're almost like the Redis version of layer ones. Like it's just one in memory giant thing, um, which is quite different. I think from like, if you, I don't know if you ever worked at like a big web two company, but we, you know, when I was working at Dropbox, it was a giant sharded MySQL instance. That was that that was the that was the thing that caused outages <laughs> because it's really hard to keep uh, track of of the the data consistency across an application that's scaled across multiple shards. Not that you can't do it. Um, it's just as that application scales itself and, and uses more of the, just more shards, you kind of get into these really interesting lock contention things where you basically like need something like Redis where it can keep like a single source of truth that that's really easy for, for all the you know microservices you have built around this thing to actually go and track and, and, and synchronize on. 
Um, totally. But I, I think you're selling yourself short there, right? In that, like, Solana is also persists data and persists data robustly. I feel like people don't really yeah. trust Reddit <laughs> as like a, a source of truth. It's typically more like a cache right. or like a, um, yep. you know, like, oh, we're using this to aggregate uh, uh, statistics over time and things that, things of that nature, right? But like, um, but I think that was what to, to get back to your, to your point there, like that was what really made us excited about Solana, right? Like the developer experience and, and your ability to like reason about how to interact with this system is so much dramatically simpler than um, kind of other, other paths to scalability um, and actually gets us at least in, in our testing, like more throughput than, um, you know, like almost anything else that we looked at, right? Like it, um, uh, you know, in, in our case, like, you know, we, our, our modeling would lead us towards, you know, it, we would need to be in the hundreds of millions of user range before we hit any um, uh, sort of bottlenecks here. So like no solutions, a forever solution, but like this is a, at least like a five, you know, five to seven <laughs> year plus solution is, is the way we see it. And I know you all will continue to get faster too. So that's, that's the, yep. cool, that's the cool part. Yeah. I think like uh, something that I experienced at Qualcomm was that uh, hardware accelerates like our hardware performance grows faster than um, than like the GDP than growth. <laughs> like at, the world is growing at a rapid pace, and there's companies that have this like massive acceleration that go from you know like in ten years they become this you know hundred billion dollar thing, um, but hardware is like a thing that will be a you know, a thousand times better in 20 years. That That's like, <laughs> and that's really, really hard to do, right? Like that, that kind of thing. You may outpace it for short periods of time, but then it always catches up. Um, and that that's kind of part of why we'll always see like transformation in, in technology that like when people look at the space right now and they see cryptocurrencies are slow or inefficient or expensive, they don't realize that we're so early in the adoption phase that by the time like we hit to 100 million people, let's say it's four years from now, it's literally like everything's going to be faster, right? Like bandwidth is going to be faster. There's going to be at least four to eight times more memory, at least four to eight times more cores. Like all the all this stuff just gets better, um, and that that like part is is hard to track. Like I don't know why exponentials are like so hard to see when you're like in the short term, but so obvious in the long. <laughs> totally. And I, I think there's also like so much FUD around, uh, you know, like Moore's Law and, you know, uh, also Intel being kind of, you know, for lack of a better word, <laughs> getting the bed a little bit right now, right? And, They're um, totally shitting the bed. Yeah. <laughs> but like, I think it's, it's, yeah, to your point, like, you know, things might slow down a little bit, right? But like, as in, you know, the maybe it won't be every 18 months we're getting double the transistors or, you know, in the last five years that has, you know, we have started to see that. But like, I think by the time we get to like Moore's Law breaking, uh, we're going to have much, much bigger uh, kind of geopolitical issues on our hands that, uh, <laughs> you know, like, I think we've got another like 50, you know, 30, 40, 50 years potentially before, you know, you can start to, yeah, anyway, it don't, I don't want to nerd out on that too much, but like, no, and and I think that also the, that design choice that you all made in Solana um, uh, was something that we got really excited about, which is your architecture is set up to take advantage of, you know, basically more and more and more 
um, uh, CPUs, like effectively horizontal scaling, right, or, or, or GPUs, right, or compute units, whatever you know, whatever unit of compute you want to use. But like, um, uh, you know, I think that much has been clear, right? Like, we can't um, as as a society or as an uh, uh, you know engineering discipline, uh, you know, we're no longer able to make like single single thread computation that much faster. Uh, but we can have like a hundred of them instead of 10 of them or a hundred thousand of them instead of 10,000 of them. And yeah, then your limiter starts to become more like, you know, the throughput of the internet pipes to connect these things uh, more so than like what, what a single machine or data center or whatever it can do, which is, you know, I think a much more tractable problem, uh, but yeah. So, so, I mean, like the, the, the thing that people don't always realize is that um, that effect also occurs in uh fiber and radio networks like and, and even copper to some extent is that you're able to st use more more lower basically like your 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 sampling rates and like the frequency band that you can use like you're able to stuff more data in there because you have better things that can do error con correction and use a wider spectrum so like 5g is literally like a bunch of like you know 24 to like 64 radio connectors that are working all at the same time right like any single one of those is as fast as any 4g thing but when you stack 64 of them all of a sudden you have like one gigabit at your phone um, and the reason why that's possible now is because you have enough compute in your phone that it that it can do this like really dynamic switching and rebalancing between 64 towers that are like thick do this while you're moving at like 100 miles an hour, right? Like <laughs> that 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 needs just like more more horsepower, um, and that that like communication level of improvement, I think, is something that um, I don't even kind of get what's going to happen. Like because for that to succeed, it means that like we are going to have 10G connections to the home, so the kind of internet that you have now is just going to be 10 times faster. Um, and I don't know if that means that we're just going to all use a VR, <laughs> like six six degrees of freedom, fully immersive, like video, right? Like, like or or like uh, constant, you know, monitoring of every activity that we do. Like, it's just kind of like we're, the singularity and the communication level is also kind of like one of the one of the weird things that we're that we are observing around us. Yeah, totally, and I, I think to to that as well like a lot of folks conflate um you know like speed of light and like latency limitations with like throughput limitations right, right? um yeah. and and uh i think that's a, also a very important distinction to draw there but like yeah no you're you're totally right i mean even anyone can anecdotally say if you you know if you have like a cable internet connection at home right like my um uh uh you know when i when i was in sf my comcast was able to do like 500 mbps with like a you know little modem for $50 on Amazon, right? Like 20 years. I mean, if you think there's like literally a single piece of copper in that in that coaxial cable that is now able to switch and carry that data over something that was, you know, laid like probably 30, 40 years ago, right? To, to send television to someone's house. It's it, it's <laughs> like, I guess you should never underestimate um, uh, American companies like lack of interest in investing in infrastructure over <laughs> investing at the edges, right? Cause it's always, yep. it's always cheaper to kick the can and invest at the edge than it is to lay new, cable or something but yeah 
so like one thing that like uh in our development um we had these big plans about building a storage network as well um and i as we were building solana we realized that that was a big enough challenge that the storage thing is just not something that we could accomplish in a reasonable amount of time and at the same time we saw projects like are we like hit maturity which is almost the idea of uh you know, pay once, store forever, storage network is kind of perfect for blockchains. Like what else would I want to do with a ledger, right? Like I want to pay for it once and make sure it's available forever. Um, so we have a project right now working with the Arweave team to dump our data into our into Arweave, like just all of the transaction data that's all the blocks effectively, the ledger as, as being redundantly stored in Arweave as well. Do you guys see like those like kind of storage is a separate thing from like metadata, like from, you know, like the indexing that you guys do again, like, are these like basically S3 versus Postgres versus <laughs> right? Like your EC2 instances. It's a, it's a great question um, because like effectively when we, when we started Audius, uh, you know, now coming up on three years ago, none of this stuff existed, right? Like the only stable coin we had available at that time was Tether. Um, and, you know, like, yeah, it, it and and there was no Arweave, there was no um, uh, Filecoin, there was no, like, none of these things. There was no the graph either, right, um, on the metadata indexing side. So, like, we had to build a lot of these things, right? Like there is a, you know, this third-party node operator network in Audius that's effectively um, replicating some of the things that these general-purpose networks do, right? Um, and and that came with some very interesting trade-offs, right? Like we were able to bring a product to market much much faster, um, and to bootstrap uh, uh, this network much faster than I think um, you know we would have been able to had we waited for like the rest of the ecosystem to catch up. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, you know, whether this is in-house or whether it's, uh, uh, you know, Audius consuming a, a third-party network is, you know, at least from from philosophically, like, you know, what I, I can share, I can't always speak for our, our whole community, but like my belief there is like, you know, best best tool for the job, right? Like there's no reason why um, if if uh, the graph can do a better job of indexing and, and surfacing data from the Audius network, uh, why that should be something that's like a, a standalone like node type within Audius. Um, on the storage side, same, same kind of thing. Um, and I can talk through like some of, you know, where we see limitations in, in some of these things today. Um, I think what's also interesting, like what Audius needs uh, right now is not so much uh, uh, on, the, on the storage side, it's not so much a storage network, but like a CDN effectively, right? Um, which is what we have been able to build um, uh, with our content node network. Um, but the way we were able to like build something like that is, as quickly as our team did was because the problem was very constrained, right? Audio is not that big. Just you know that that like that fact in and of itself uh, uh, saves a lot of um, uh, a lot of heartache. Like the entire SoundCloud catalog uh, from a couple of years ago, someone went and like tried to to archive everything. It's like 750 terabytes. It's just not that much data, right? Like compressed audio is not does not consume that much space. Um, so in our case, like we can't you know 
like that we're able to to sort of you know increase redundancy beyond a point where uh, uh, you know it would be cost effective for like larger amounts of data, but use that to kind of like bludgeon our way to to a CDN style of, of functionality, right? Where you can go click play on something on on Audius and it, it plays quickly. Um, you know, similar similar sort of things on the on the metadata indexing side, right? Like where us having this like bespoke um, uh, solution allows Audius to like surface data more quickly for specific types of, of queries and especially like the you know very aggregated queries right like when you go to audius what is your feed right there's like the amount of data that's needed across the system to like answer that very simple question which it's it's like who do you follow what things did they post and interact with time sort those things and then deduplicate them um you know that and then and then now the the feed is even starting to like not just be purely a time sorted list there's ways you can like you know boost things that maybe are getting engaged with more and, and stuff like that so um those types of like very very complicated things um are just challenging to answer with a general purpose solution so like given enough time and financial investment i think the general purpose uh things will always win out over the purpose specific right like there's a reason audius didn't say like we're gonna go build our own blockchain and spend like 10 years doing that right um and and I expect that to play out with all of these other all of these other things too. Uh, it's just a matter of time. Um, but uh, in the meantime, we still need to serve our our users and and keep growing. So that's that's always the trade off, um, you know, with with respect to that. That that's um, that's super cool. Like I, I think that kind of almost like the right approach and surprisingly rare in the space because a lot of teams want to go and build like everything from, <laughs> from the ground up uh and there's some reasons to do that but um not always right like um in, in a lot of ways like you can it is actually to better to use like off-the-shelf things uh general purpose things when they're available totally it's like right right tool for the job right um and and i think there are some cases where like it's it's quite trivial for folks to uh, uh, you know, thinking thinking about like a lot of um, uh, the the DeFi protocols that have been doing well. Um, you know, they didn't need to build any of this like other stuff. They were able to like basically build purely um, on chain things and and have that like work right and and have that work fine. But um, yeah, there's uh, always sort of uh, uh, varying like trade offs there. Um, and and like in our case, there was just for to serve a use case like this, uh, we didn't see a way to do it with the existing tools. Um, I think that'll change though. That's that's the most important thing. And like, it, you know, that change will bring about, I think so many more interesting use cases like Audius, right? So that you don't have to spend a year and a half and raise a bunch of money building something to like ship a ship a product that's decentralized, right? Um, that's, that's sort of, that's what makes me most excited about where our space is heading. Like all of this investment that people have been making in infrastructure is finally starting to get to a point where like it's it's like much easier to build something like what what uh, Audius is. There's been I think like most of the adoption in in crypto has been around like financial stuff, and DeFi is like a prime example, but it's still. The, the tools are really cool, but they're still really focused on the same kind of like ICO style, like in, investorly and like 
get a return kind of thing in crypto, not even like in, in general purpose things. Um, what I love about you guys is that you have a consumer facing project that is really like trying to solve um, like a consumer problem, right? It, it's not even, you could almost not even know that there's any crypto behind it. Um, do, do you, are your users like primarily crypto users? Or are you seeing like folks come in from the outside that are more interested in, in music and kind of like the like more ethos of, of like open and, and shareable music? Yeah, I think it's really much more the latter. Um, most of our users, when when surveyed, you know, we don't we don't ask everyone this, but we can get like representative information back, right? Like, the vast majority of of Audius users have no prior crypto experience uh, uh, whatsoever. Um, the only ones that do, it's like oh, they have a Coinbase account and they tried buying Bitcoin in 2017 or something, right? Like it's not, um, <laughs> it, it, they're, they're certainly not like crypto natives. Um, and I think it all comes down to like, what are what are the goalposts uh, uh, that, you know, your project is, is optimizing for? Like with Audius, uh, the goal ha has always and, and will continue to be scale. Um, and and ultimately, you know, providing tools to artists to help monetize that scale, right? Like helping uh, you as an artist build the biggest audience you can um, of of fans and listeners, and then because you own the relationship with those fans, um, monetizing them directly or, or monetizing like a small percentage of them, even, right? Um, uh, uh, so like. I think for us, the goalposts are just very different than like for for most uh, uh, sort of DeFi projects. For example, it's it's either you know like trading volume or value locked in the system or value lent from the system. Um, and at a certain point, then you know if those are the goalposts, like I think you know what we're seeing makes a ton of sense, right? Like you know who cares if your thing has only one user if you make money on volume and so, you know that one user is trading like 500 mil a day in volume, right? It's sort of you know like um, so yeah, it's, I think I think it's all it's all really about that. Um, and and uh, I think what why we haven't seen more of these sort of like consumer scalable use cases in in my opinion at least really comes down to usability um and and i think it's just it's really hard to build stuff uh right now that is uh usable and accessible to like you know our average user right which is uh someone who doesn't know anything about crypto and is scared of of crypto uh oftentimes too right so like um, it's actually interesting. We we hear this a lot from users uh, uh, that have like clicked through a link that they saw an artist share or something to go listen to their track. Um, they say, "Whoa! Like we didn't even know that this thing was decentralized or that there was any crypto stuff at all there, right?" And and um, I think that's like the the best uh, uh, sort of um, uh, you know thing thing to hear from people, right? Like if, if your thing can fit their existing mental models um, and, and they're able to get the value prop from from your tool without having to like relearn how to how to use the web, basically, um, that's that's a really cool thing. Um, and I know that doesn't work for, for everything, right? But um, in our case, they're sort of, um, yeah, I, I mean that's just that's just always what we were we have been optimizing for, and I think that's it's it's kind of 
an interesting thing we're seeing in NFT land right now too, which is sort of the like crypto first approach to creator monetization, right? Um, and uh, there's there's a lot to talk about and, and unpack around that, but like it's, I mean, it's seeing success and it's super interesting, right? Um, uh, it's, it's just um, sort of like, a very small number of, of people trading like very, very large amounts of, of money and, and amounts of, of things, which depending on the goalposts, that's that's still very interesting, right? And very exciting. So yeah. um uh yeah. Which is which is almost like a parallel of the art world, yes. right? Like where is a small number very small number of people trading very expensive things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's uh uh, what I do think is is more interesting, at least about the uh, NFT space, is that like anyone can enjoy um, the art, even if they don't necessarily own it. Um, like it's it's kind of fascinating that like you know that the ability for anyone to view and like you know enjoy a, a piece of NFT art can actually potentially like increase the value of it in in a lot of cases more than it like decreases it necessarily, um, uh, uh, or at least the value of like owning the the piece. But yeah, it's just a different goalpost, right? Like I, I think in um, you know there's there's a ton of success happening there. It's really cool to see creators get paid. That's that's uh, uh, you know that's very similar to to our mission, right? And and um, it you know that that's what gets us excited about it, right? Um, but I, I think that that to me feels like the the sort of like that's almost the coming at the problem from the opposite direction, right? It's like how do we financialize creator? Um, uh, sort of creator uh, uh, tools and and like creator access, right? Like it's, it's like, how do we sort of take the things that are working in crypto and adapt them there? Whereas we're trying to go the opposite direction, right? Which is to take like things that have worked in like consumer web products and and like bring that way of thinking into crypto. Um, and that that like where that meets, I think is like a really interesting place because music is a digital form of art that was really hard to monetize for a super long time. Like, I I think it was really, you know, know, for for a long time, people thought like Spotify would just fail. (laughs) Like uh, even that idea was that streaming could actually be sustainable for a company, let alone the artists, right? Like uh, what wasn't something that was clear to anyone. Um, And I think like, it, it's kind of cool that uh, I don't know if you guys are thinking that like exposing those crypto dynamics of NFTs with music. Like I, I don't know when you got if you guys are thinking of experimenting there, but um, interested to like hear your thoughts on, on on how that how that would play out. Yeah, so I think there are there are a lot of really great teams working in that area already. Um, like I don't see Audius ever being like an NFT issuer or NFT auction house or or something of that nature. However, um, what I do see happening and and what I think that is very interesting for like a, a lot of our musicians on um, on Audius, like they have a, a fairly large audience there, um, and and because they own the relationship with that audience, it is their choice to monetize them however however they see fit, right? So um, what I'm getting at is I think there's like a very interesting way for um, creators to basically like use the 
Audius identity, use the kind of Audius native wallet and, and all of that other tooling. And especially as monetization rolls out in Audius, like the fiat to crypto um, uh, uh, sort of interaction layer of, of that to, you know, share access to like different different forms of effectively like merch, right? Um, uh, you know, like the question I guess really is with NFTs, whether that like secondary market trading side of it is like, the killer feature or whether it's like digital merch is sort of or i mean it's not mutually exclusive uh, uh either necessarily but um but anyway yeah I, I think what we would be really excited to see is like a, you know audius is is open source it's fully um uh, it's an open protocol right like anyone can consume uh the audius identity there are hundreds of thousands of of these um uh, accounts that are all you know non-crypto native people and that's like a a much larger uh, set of individuals than you could access through any of the kind of like NFT specific um, uh, platforms, right? So um, I think that's where we see Audius's role in this being is effectively like this kind of, you know, distribution layer of, of sorts, right? Um, if you can access your audience um, uh, through through these tools and through this um, uh, sort of, you know, almost like this, this like follower graph that you've bootstrapped within, um, within Audius of like, you know, Web3 native people, even if they don't know that they're Web3 native, right? They, they are because of the, the sort of the nature of the network. Um, that's something we're really excited to see. Um, so I, I think that's where we see sort of the, um, uh, the role of this system being very long-term, um, but it's, uh, uh, you know, in the meantime, at least, I think we, we've been um, uh, really encouraged to see like how much money creators are, are making with NFTs right now. Um, so that's 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 the most important uh, uh, thing with all of this, right, is is just helping helping artists support their work and and continue to do that work. Right. Um, and and uh, yeah, so like. I think it'll. It, it, we're just really excited to see how all of this plays out, and um, you know, we we obviously are um, uh, uh, very excited to engage with teams that like want to access uh, kind of a, a creator's existing audience through through Audius versus like bootstrapping a new audience um, somewhere else. That's awesome. Um, I, I mean, like, I, I, it's also like, I think speaks to the vision that you guys have earlier that like use the best tool for the job. Like, it's pretty cool that <laughs> like, if you're focusing on building this, like the relationship side between artists and, and followers that you can use another protocol that is designed for NFT auctions or something like that. Like those are not, you don't have to stuff everything into a single box. Um, that that that's that's pretty cool. Um, this is something that I think was really surprising about Ethereum in general to me. And and like if there's like one thing I'm jealous of, it, it's that you have teams that have been able to build these niches uh, that are all composable, um, like OpenSea, right? Like Ave, like Compound, and you know like separate teams that totally build these products organically in their own, but now have kind of merged together. Um, and what I love about you guys is that you're um, doing this at a cross-platform, <laughs> like cross-chain way. Like we, we can, we're actually going to start, I think, my theory is that we're going to move away from like the layer one versus layer X debates and more into 
am I using the audience protocol to like connect with like a more music centric following and then like Ave because that's like the more financial like lending thing. And now I'm an artist that can bootstrap my music and then have it le being lent on Ave, right? Like something like that. Um, and, and no one, no one really needs to know that it's on Ethereum or on Solana or on anything else. Dude, I, I couldn't agree more. And um, I think that's still like one of the biggest uh, uh, sort of outstanding problems in our you know community on the infrastructure side is like making that cross-chain interaction and uh, uh, sort of user experience one that's like intuitive and, and makes sense, right? Um, I think what we're starting to see emerge is like this hub and spoke thing where like Ethereum is, is kind of the hub and like you can move through different bridges and, and things onto other chains and then back to Ethereum and stuff. Um, when we, what we really need is more of like a point to point esque uh, uh, thing, you know, like yeah. It, it, I, I, yeah. And I, I don't know how one will do that or could do that. Um, but I, I think it, it will be really interesting. Right. Um, and then it ultimately ends up being like, you know, these things all have different trade-offs. And, and one of the things that I, I've always loved about um, my interactions with you all is that you're very focused in what you're good at um, and you don't try to be good at everything. Right. Um, and, yeah. and you need that. And that's, you know, we, to, to what you said, like we've tried to take the same philosophy with Audius, right? Like we don't want to be everything to every, uh, everyone, right? We know sort of where, um, uh, where we want to stay focused and like, we're very excited to sort of interoperate with and interact with others who might want to be, you know, the best in, in different areas, right. Or, or whatever, right. Even if they're not the best, like anyone can, can interact, interact with and interoperate with, um, uh, the audience network if, if they would like to, right. So, um, so yeah, I think it's it's I think it's telling uh you know of of how confident uh folks are in the quality of their product whether they are kind of like pro interoperability or or anti interoperability, right? Because if you're pro interoperability, it typically means like you're confident that like you're you have your area, your turf basically that you are the best at and that like people will want to use you for. Um it, you know, it's treating interoperability as like a you know, or lack of interoperability as a form of defensibility may work short term, but like long term, that's never like that's never yeah. proven to work in in the past. Yeah, I mean that that's that's true about you know the general tech world, right? Is like established companies don't really like interoperability because it brings competition from innovative startups, right? That are <laughs> that are able to kind of cut through bureaucracy and and like move faster. Um, <laughs> that that. That's always the case. Um, and, you know, like you have to be a certain like, you know, factor fa faster or better or in some way, like, you know, at least 10x um, to actually have a shot, even with interoperability, um, because like the mental switching costs for people are, are pretty tough as well. I wonder though if that's something that could be solved for like at the, you know, almost like client or wallet layer, right? Like what if someone doesn't need to know if their asset is on, 
you know, Solana or on ETH or on whatever else. It's more like, oh, like I want to interact with Serum, but I have some like ETH land ERC20, like my wallet just figures out how to move them there. Um, and, and then, you know, my only exposure to that as a user is that like I'm paying more fees to interact with ETH stuff and I don't like that. So like I obviously will want to pay less fees and be on things that are like, you know, um, so, so then the product wins, like Serum wins because of like less fees effectively, right? It's like the cheapest place to trade, not not almost this like lock in to, uh, uh, to the ecosystem, you know? Yeah, that, that's the hope. But, um, and we see that playing out, but the kind of one of the hurdles we have to cross is kind of convincing engineers that they have to switch, like the people, there's still somebody that it needs to go build that, right? And there are yeah. people that, are, that are, are that have freedom to say no for the yeah. most part. Uh, so get, getting them over the line and like with you guys, I think it was easier to do so because you are actually so focused on the consumer side that you you see yourself, like you have confidence that you're gonna get to 10 million users. <laughs> this is like the, why why it's easier to, to talk to, to your team. It's like, okay, what are we gonna do at 10 million users? We need something faster. And then the engineering decisions are secondary to this, to the vision. Um, but that's not true for a lot of early stage startups because they're still in this like, pre-product market fit phase right and the only goal that they the only opportunity they see is is like being kind of with the with the ethereum herd and kind of maybe hoping to catch like a draft off of that ecosystem um and that, that that's a tough tough kind of problem um for like i there's something that you kind of mentioned earlier on um that i've been thinking about a lot too was that like you're approaching, like you you have users that don't even know that they're using crypto. And this is something that I think is like, um, like almost like this intermediary step right now where folks like you can onboard new users to these networks where they're not aware that there's crypto, but I think we'll actually see massive kind of that like internet style when Facebook was growing a million users per week or whatever when we actually get users to understand what crypto is and that they have private keys that mean something like, do you think like, do you, do you, do you believe in that? Or do you think that we'll just be able to kind of hide crypto out of the way and it'll just be a database? Yes. It's something I'm still like undecided on to some extent, but like my, my current thinking here is, um, I, I see the approach that we've taken as Audius as the stepping stone towards what we'll eventually get to. I think a good analogy is like skeuomorphism, right? In in like yeah. design land from ten or twenty years ago, right? Like making you know making the icons on your computer look like uh, you know like the fact that you know I'm I'm looking at like my my dock on on my laptop right now and I see the little like folder like literal like manila folder in like a folder holder icon right um that analogy like does not make sense anymore but it needed to be there 25 years ago or 30 years ago to get people to like start to get comfortable with this right so um I think it, these stepping stones have a a very um, a stubborn way of sticking around sometimes, but um, but you know I I think that like these are you can't like 
expect someone to relearn how they um uh how they like you know do basic things um to to use your product for the first time you'll only get like these very of zealous like early adopter um uh types right and uh there's nothing wrong with those people it's just not as big of a market right so um i think so, we see so ourselves or, or, go ahead like the wallet is a skeuomorphism that doesn't always make sense right <laughs> like i don't hold so I, I don't hold digital audio in my wallet right or like my artist identity is not in my wallet it, it's kind of like this bizarre thing yeah it's hard, hard to overcome. Well, even just the word wallet, like where does that come from, right? Like you have a piece of leather that's in your pocket, right? That that analogy is like kind of you know already as as broken as like the file folder and the file on on your computer, right? Um, and uh, uh, but I but I think that's okay, right? I think it's just a way to like it's close enough that people kind of understand, okay, like my money is in this thing. Um, where it gets weirder, right, is, you know, like in the case of Audius, like when that key is basically the um, uh, the thing that is permissioned to take action on behalf of an artist, right? Um, and that's not something that people really, like that it does not map to what someone would think of as a wallet, right? But um, it's almost like your identity, is is maybe the better analogy right it's like your your like id card yeah i i'm like i start to want to poke into like science fiction this is my avatar right and like yeah. <laughs> uh, and yeah th this is like to me the, the hard part and um what i remember like in the 90s where we're like six degrees over email seemed kind of like oh this is silly like there's 40 million people on the internet and i'm kind of connected to all of them um, and I really did not see that transforming into like Friendster, Orkut, and like MySpace, and then Facebook. Um, but it's it's obvious in retrospect, right? Like you have a social graph that you're connected to, and in, in the real world, and all of a sudden, digital world social graph is just so much bigger, right? It's yeah. global and <laughs> um, and and like really, really massively powerful. And, I wonder if we're going to see the same thing with like once people get this idea that this key is my like you know authority in the metaverse, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> how do you how do you like get the mental model to shift there? I think is is like a really hard challenge. Yeah, it it is, um, and I think the only way to get it there is with time. Right? Like, I think yeah. even. Um, uh, you know, the it took a while for people to get used to the idea of like passwords, right? Arguably, a lot of people still aren't used to it today. Like, you know, people like our our parents or our grandparents who like write these things on sticky notes and like stick them around or do things of uh, uh, like yeah. that, right? Like, um, you know, the the idea of like keeping you know information a piece of information secret because it has you know it provides access to to something is is foreign to a lot of folks still but um but yeah i think you know so that yeah i mean i i, I think like we should feel comfortable with these stepping stones right it does frustrate me a lot that folks in in crypto often say um you know we should we should force people to retrain uh, uh, how they think about things because, uh, um, you know, because things are different here, right? Like, and and uh, 
I, I get where it's coming from, right? Like, I think people feel like this, um, you know, the approach that we've taken is maybe watering down, like by obscuring the crypto stuff from, from people, um, you know, they're not going to be as crypto native and whatever, right? Like to give you a concrete example of this, someone emailed us the other day and said, uh, you know, I have an IPFS node on my local machine and like Audius doesn't use my IPFS node. Why doesn't it like, um, you know, and I said, well, you're the first person of like, you know, nearing 2 million to have ever emailed us and asked about this. Um, and he, you know, he said, well, you know, what you should, you should do is like prompt someone to go download uh, uh, IPFS and run it on their computer to, to like be able to interact with, with Audius because you're like taking a shortcut to, uh, for, to, to not, train people into this and like you know again like I, I get where that sentiment comes from right part of it is like you know not wanting to dilute this experience in in any way but like dude who's gonna do that right that's a, it's just such a like disconnected uh perspective like you know you could yeah we could do that and we'd have like five users right um and that's not that's just like not again getting back to what are the goalposts that that was not like what we what we set out to do yeah and it it's just we're not the technology and like the usability of these decentralized stacks is just unfortunately not all there and that, that that's kind of like the hard part like if we were at a level where like people ran like a server at home that ran like their local web indexing their local email client like that was part of the 90s vision right <laughs> like yeah. that just didn't happen right like so people weren't trained to do that and like Oh, this is my like appliance, my internet appliance <laughs> that yeah. runs my things. Like we're then like it could have been easier to slide like a bunch of the stuff in, but unfortunately, like we that that didn't pan out. Um, I kind of wonder if it ever will or not. Um, so it, it's it's a challenge, I think, a really hard one. Um, my view is that like these steps are important. Because if you can get people to get interested in it and start discovering on their own as part of this broader experience, um, then you kind of start building up, you know, your like geek army that'll tell their friends. You you got you have to use like a, a ledger, right? You have to use hardware wallet. You can't like just write down your your words on a piece of paper next to your computer, right? Like this is your identity. Like you need those humans to explain it to their friends, um, and that. Those steps are, are kind of where we will start to see that that level of adoption, the virality of it. Totally, and I, I think it also comes from like it sort of existing, you know, institutions and, and power structures starting to embrace some of these things too. So, um, you know, like rather than saying to the user, "Hey, you should like go install this other piece of software," or like, "Oh, you should install this wallet Chrome extension," and like, you know, write down your seed phrase and stick it in a safe deposit box. Um, you know, it, think about like if if Chrome had IPFS native to to Chrome, um, or even like the you know the IPFS team is is very aware of this. Like they're building a JS uh, IPFS client that uses WebSockets to connect to the um, 
to the network, right? So like if you could actually have that just run fully in the browser context without a user having having to know, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, I know you all are, are working on, on similar tools and, and things for interaction with um, uh, with Solana as well. And that's like, you know, we're, we are also working on those uh, 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 those things in, in parallel for Solana, right? Because we need them to, uh, uh, to let our user base interact with um, uh, the 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 network without you know like having uh, uh, having you know without being like super knowledgeable about what's um, uh, what's going on, but uh, I think that's what will start to to help us uh, uh, chip away at this from the top too, like Cloudflare supporting uh, ENS names recently or like things yeah. things like that, right? Um, uh, there are these sort of um, uh, existing institutions that are like, you know, I think institutions are like a lot less evil than, you know, most in, in crypto like to make them out to be, right? But like by working with those folks, uh, we can actually make this happen a lot faster. I think this transformation. Yep. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Uh, and it, I mean, I'm uh, we're, we're kind of getting to the end of the hour and um, I'm super excited for you guys because I think you're going to be not like a crypto story, but like a general audio music story, like a breakout company, I think in that space that uses crypto and that, and like, that is the cool thing is that like the, this, that you guys are building something that is bigger than just a small vision of, of crypto and, and tokens, that it's actually like something that is like normal humans can appreciate. <laughs> I, uh, I I sure hope so, and I, I think our uh, it, I, it's just been so humbling to uh, to have gotten to work on this whole thing and see the community that has rallied uh, uh, rallied around it. Now, um, you know the um, uh, it, it's like you know it's just so much bigger than uh, you know what myself or or what our team um, is is working on. Uh, that you know, yeah, I, I I do think like we're you know we're well on our way to uh, uh, to being one of the first like sort of you know mainstream consumer use cases that can actually find uh, a product market fit in in this um, in this crypto world. Um, and yeah, it's I mean, hey, there's a lot more work uh, uh, for 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 us to do for all of us in the whole space to do, I guess. But um, but I think it is it is pretty cool how far um, how far we've all come in in uh, you know the time that so I, I think you all started Solana like not not too too long before us uh, getting started at Audius either um, so it's, it's it's pretty remarkable just how much has happened in in this time yeah it's been like feels like it's been like a decade but um, just a few years ago right um, we were barely barely startups that just you know, we were at the 500 startups office looking at a, a very stained carpet <laughs> uh, while, while we were like write, writing that, trying to get the first test done up and running. Um, it's been it's been a wild ride. Well, on that note, uh, maybe we can uh, we can wrap up. But thank you so much for for having me on. And uh, yeah, I'm just you know excited to be part of uh, uh, part of the Solana community and and to to get to hang out. Yeah, likewise. Super excited to be to be working with you guys, and uh, just amazing how much success you guys have had. Thank you for being on the show. Of course, likewise. Have a good one. Bye.